Welcome back to another episode of our Wealth Creation Series. In this podcast, we talk about how to get the basics right. We unpack the building blocks of your investment strategy and how cash can work for you and against you, as well as other alternative asset classes such as property. And joining me in this discussion is Kate Stannard and uh, Paul McKeveney from Investec Wealth and Investment. Now, let me start off with uh, introducing Kate. Kate is not only a financial advisor relationship manager, she's also a qualified level one kundalini yoga instructor she's a neurozone certified coach and a meditation enthusiast and she describes herself as somebody who's quite curious about the outer and inner worlds that shape her thinking we also have with us paul and he's a portfolio manager and fund manager and much like kate he's somebody who's constantly looking for different ways to stimulate his mind he keeps himself very busy with his two young boys playing squash and golf mountain biking and just generally having a good time Kate and Paul, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I'm also quite interested, just as we kick things off, and I'll start with you, Kate, how you got into investments. Uh, I mean, you could, have, you could have done anything. You could have gone into the world of meditation solely. You know, uh, the Kundalini probably would have kept you busy as well. But, um, you know, when did the investment bug bite you? I think for me, growing up, my landscape was, was colored by, by my parents actually getting divorced, which maybe is a personal thing but my mom and a lot of other women of her generation were stay-at-home moms and I felt like they didn't necessarily have the skills to look after themselves financially that that role had been performed um, by their husbands traditionally and I really wanted to be a woman who looked after my own finances and could empower myself and maybe empower others. That was my initial drive, I guess, was to be financially secure. Uh, Paul, yeah, I mean, you, you could have stayed in the outdoor. And I'm quite interested, I guess, in some of your own early experiences and how you were introduced to the world of markets and, and investments. And uh, yeah, seemingly, I mean, you've also done some very fascinating and interesting things uh, traveling uh, all over the world as well. Yeah, so <laughs> I am, it's interesting listening to Kate answering that question as well. I remember at quite a young age, actually, my dad had all these like tapes and, and books and these classes that he had taken on a Sunday morning on investing. And it seemed to me that if you just listened to these tapes and read those books, then you could make lots of money out of investments. So I tried to, as a youngster, do some of those, you know, listen to some of those courses. I made some investments myself that my dad helped me with and then I used to check the newspaper basically every day get the unit price trusts uh, trust prices and then plot them on my graph paper with a pen and uh, like a, a pencil and paper on the inside of my cupboard to uh, see how much uh, money I was making or losing and uh, that worked quite well and then I got a bit more confident and I decided that it was time to pick a few companies to invest in so I remember picking five shares and Basically, within a year, four of them were worth nothing again. So, um, bit of a <laughs> bit of a mixed bag, and we'll come back to some of the lessons that maybe we learned that I learned <laughs> from that experience. But, uh, but really, through you know, my parents getting me going at a young age. You were fortunate in a way, you know, to learn a lot of those lessons and even, I guess, the big losses. Um, but of course, you would know a lot of people who aren't necessarily in financial services. And, and I must say, many of them, and myself included, feel very, very overwhelmed by some of the jargon, you know, and some of the industry talk there. No, I think that that's very true. I, I think that it can be a very overwhelming industry. Certainly, I have a lot of friends 
um, who who kind of give me feedback and they're like, Kate, it's a whole lot of boring old men talking in jargon and I don't understand anything and I'm scared to ask questions. And, you know, I, th- I think that, that Paul is luckily neither old nor boring. I really empathize with, with that feeling because I kind of liken it to taking my car for a service. I, I, I'm really not clued up about the inner workings of a car and I feel very vulnerable when when I take my car for a service because I don't know if my oil needs changing or my shock absorbers need changing. I'm really trusting that the person that I that I take my car to is a professional. But I recently, for example, learned the other day that you should change your shock absorbers like every 90,000 kilometers. And I thought that was a really useful rule of thumb. And I feel like we could do that today perhaps with with asset classes, which is which is what we wanted to discuss today, and and, and maybe just go through some rules of thumb, um, which might help lay people or people who are not in financial services navigate their life choices and their financial goals more meaningfully. So I don't know whether Paul, do you want to just kick off and and share kind of basically what what the building blocks of investments are what are asset classes so asset classes i mean it's exactly as you said um are the building blocks of your investment strategy at the very simplest level the main ones would be cash bonds equities and property uh each of these asset classes have very distinct attributes in terms of how they behave and crucially and we'll come back to this a bit later on are accessible for the average investor I guess from a property perspective, you may be saying, well, um, not all properties are accessible for the average investor. And I guess that is depending on how big a house you're looking to buy. But generally speaking, cash bonds and equities uh, would be accessible. Um, Cash is probably the easiest asset class to understand because we all have a lot of experience with cash and cash is is very predictable. It's basically earning interests on funds on deposit with the bank. You know what interest rate you earn and you know it's going to be there when you need it. Many of us are familiar with cash because, yes, we have it in our, you know, uh, wallets in, in many instances. And uh, it sounds great. It sounds safe, uh, predictable. Why don't we just all put all of the money in the cash? So the, the silent assassin for cash is inflation. Um, inflation is something we're all aware of on a day-to-day basis. And we know that through looking at what uh, our shopping baskets costs, what school fees are, what our medical aid fees are, and I mean, even electricity prices at the moment are catching a lot of our eyes and petrol prices. Um, but sometimes we, we don't make the connection between what inflation is doing to our savings, especially when we invest in cash. So using a very simple example, if the interest rate on your 100 Rand cash deposit is, say, 4%, and inflation is currently 5%, your savings are actually going backwards in a sense because in a year's time, the prices of the groceries that you want to buy today will be five rand more expensive, while that hundred rand would only have earned an extra four rand of interest. So you effectively short one rand. And that's before tax as well, which we can maybe come and touch on a bit later. So cash is not a good strategy for long-term wealth creation. And inflation is something that's fighting under the surface against you all the time. And, and what are some of the other alternatives? I mean, you'd mentioned earlier on, you know, two other asset classes uh, in the form of bonds and uh, property as well. What's the balance uh, ideally one should strike there? Maybe we can start off with bonds. Okay, so now we're getting a little bit more exciting. So we, we've spoken about cash. So let's let's start with bonds first and then we'll, we'll come to equities. When you invest in a bond, you're effectively lending money to a government or a company who will pay you an interest 
interest at an agreed rate and then return your original investment back to you in a certain number of years. So the interest rate you earn on a bond is higher than the cash deposit because you are lending money for a longer period of time and you are taking risk that the company or even the government, if you think about Argentina here, for example, may not be able to repay you in full in case something goes wrong. In the more highly rated areas of the bond market, these risks are very low, but defaults do occur. Inflation is also a bond investment's worst enemy, although if you, you are earning a higher rate of interest than you do on cash, but because you agree on that fixed rate for a longer period of time, if inflation goes up during that period, the value of the interest you receive, as well as the capital that is returned to you, will buy less because it's worth less in real terms. And I find that quite interesting. I mean, you say inflation is also the biggest enemy of the bond market. And many investors might be asking, well, what other options do I ha have to hedge against that particular risk? And equities, I guess, might also be a compelling proposition if we're interested in building long-term wealth. 100%. So I guess, you know, now we arrive at our probably our most exciting, but also the most volatile. And, and volatile is a, a word that, you know, the, the community used to describe something where the price is... Is going up and down all the time. So we mentioned that cash and bonds tend to be quite stable. If you're looking at your, your share portfolio every day, you'll see that the prices are moving around all the time. So that's generally what we mean by volatile. Um, but the reason that equities are the most important of all the investment options for investors looking to build long-term wealth is because they've easily produced the highest returns over extended periods of time. These high levels of returns over the long-term or why they are an essential component of any long-term wealth creation strategy. What are they? What is an equity or share? It's effectively a, um, an ownership stake in a business. And as a shareholder or an investor in a company, you share in the fortunes of that company, which are reflected in the profits that that company makes and hopefully grow over time. Equities or shares can also pay you income in the form of a dividend, which is paid out of their profits. The reason that inflation is less of an issue for an equity investment is that whatever service or product that the company provides will generally tend to be linked to inflation anyway. If you think of a simple example of a retailer, you know, if the costs of the products that they sell to you go up for whatever reason, they will tend to raise the selling prices of those products to you as well. So equities will tend to provide better protection against inflation and much better growth than cash or bonds over time as our listeners of episode one would know, given it was all about the powers of compounding. Quite an interesting prospect. And, and I want us to maybe take a look at another um, you know, asset class in the form of property. But before we do that, Kate, I want to bring you in here. Because earlier on, you spoke about rules of thumb, you know, heuristics that we can apply. So that the question that we ask isn't really about, I guess, what asset class is suitable for me, but rather faced with whatever risk event in one's financial life, what type of, I guess, asset allocation or mix is needed to make sure that, you know, those risk events don't hit you as hard as, I guess, many people have seen during this pandemic? I think that, it, you know, clients don't normally think of what asset class is right for me, but they think of, will I be okay in an emergency? And do I have enough to retire on? Or what do I need to invest in to be financially free? Um, I think those are the ways in which we obviously think about our own finances. And maybe some of the rules of thumb are, I believe everybody should have an emergency fund. I think COVID's really shown how critical that is. You know, life happens. You, your laptop breaks. You have to take a salary cut because of COVID. You lose your job, whatever the case may be. 
And those kinds of emergency savings really create a buffer around you that makes you feel safe. And that feeling of safety is quite expensive. And that kind of part of your, your financial world for me should be in cash. It should be safe and stable and not subject to volatility because your time frame is quite short. You may need it for an emergency. Um, and then I think for, for building longer term wealth, for becoming financially free, as I like to call it, rather than retiring. I think that that retiring is kind of an outdated concept. There, you need, there you've got a longer-term horizon for investment, and you can afford to take on volatility, as Paul discussed, and, and there you should really be taking on more of the equity-type investments to, to really achieve those, those financial goals, those long-term goals. Paul, I guess, you know, Kate uh, already mentioned the importance of um, at whatever life stage somebody might be, critical importance of having a corresponding asset class with a certain risk profile that can contribute to building long term wealth. What are some of these, I guess, asset classes that could be linked to some of these goals um, and different life stages? I mean, I guess the, the easiest way to think about them is that they each do something very different for very different people in helping you to achieve your financial goals ranging from you know, the safest but least exciting from a potential return perspective, which is cash, as we've discussed, to potentially the highest returning, but also the riskiest asset class, which would be equities. Everyone should hold a combination of all of them um, because they will each perform differently at different stages of your investment lifestyle. And holding a mixture helps to smooth the investment journey out while meeting the broad objectives of income, security, and growth, as Kate has touched on. So, for example, you know, a young person who has a long time to save for financial freedom can afford to take on riskier asset classes like equities because that has historically been the most probable way to maximize long-term wealth creation. But on the other hand, someone that needs to draw an income from their, their saved assets who may not have a long-term investment horizon may need to shift some of their savings into bonds and cash. And if you have a specific spending requirement in the short term, like a deposit for a house, you know, then that money should be kept in cash and not invested in the equity market. And, and what about property? I mean, I'd also think that there would be other asset classes. You often hear people talking about fine art and, and wine and all of those other nice things. We have only chatted about the most basic of asset classes so far being you know, cash, bonds and equities. And there are absolutely a few more that we could discuss. And maybe you know, we can do another, another podcast in the series a bit later on going into a little bit more detail of other asset classes in inverted commas. You know, property, I guess, though, would be one that most of us would have engaged with at some stage or thinking about getting involved with. Um, property has a very long-term track record. So we understand what the drivers of property prices are. We know that the returns are typically linked to inflation, which makes sense when you think about how rental escalations work and how properties are valued. And as you've said, you know, much more exciting candidates for discussion could also include commodities like gold. Uh, wine, art, vintage cars, stamps, crypto. You know, there's a wide range of, 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 of candidates for asset classes out there. But a very important consideration when we discuss you know, these different other asset classes is liquidity. And by liquidity, we generally mean how easily can a public investor access these asset classes. And investments like, uh, like art, wine, and stamps, you know, despite their strong inflation-beating track records, are not easily accessible for the average investor. And another thing to consider is understanding how those asset classes behave relative to the other asset classes we've spoken about. Ideally, we're looking for an asset class to behave distinctly to each other. 
And I guess the the other consideration, Kate, would also be, you know, especially in so far as retirement is concerned and the timing of the investments as we've spoken about, uh, would be potentially maybe, you know, what, what implications this would have at different life stages. So you probably don't want to be taking crypto, you know, a few years from your retirement age. I, look, I have to say, I don't think I'm a crypto, a crypto whiz. Certainly, I'm still kind of getting my head around it as an asset class, truthfully. Um, but yes, I think one of the things that we, we haven't really discussed is, is liquidity, which I think is, is crucial with regards to any form of investment. So whilst, you know, it might be wonderful, for example, to buy a beautiful piece of art, it's only worth, it's only worthwhile as an asset if you can sell it again. And, um, you know, I think that there are, there are, there are a certain place for certain types of asset classes throughout the lifestyle journey. And I think liquidity is, an, is a crucial part of that. It might, I, I mean, I, it might be worth talking about some of the things that we see in our industry where I feel like people make mistakes or let them down or they let themselves down with their asset class choices. Paul, I'm sure you've got some. My probably my most obvious one is I see a lot of young people being afraid of, of investing in equities because they're nervous of volatility. And volatility is really just volatility. It's just going up and down, but that can feel very scary. And what, what I tend to see as a mistake, for, especially for younger people, is that they don't invest past cash at a time where they really have time on their side. They've got the benefit of compounding, as we discussed in our first episode, and they've got that long-term time horizon where they really can afford to take on that price movement, but but they're afraid. And, and I get that. But for me, that's a major, major missed opportunity um, in one's financial well-being and health. Paul, what do, what, what, do, what do you think? What do you see? I guess from a, you know, I look after a number of, of retirement funds and what I, what I see also Quite a big issue in the industry is that as people start approaching you know that age of 55 they start to shift aggressively out of their their growth assets which are those equities that we spoke about earlier and moving quite quite quickly into into cash and bonds but the fact is that you know life expectancies obviously depending on on you know your health and you know all those sorts of things can be you can still have a you know 20 plus years of an investment horizon to to still be um, and and living expenses to have to worry about, so shifting too quickly into these low returning, safer and inverted asset classes can actually be quite unsafe in the longer term because you're giving you're giving up that uh, uh, still quite a long term investment horizon depending on obviously on your health and and lifestyle. So that's a big one. Yeah, and I think that people are living longer. I mean, the reality is that we are. Lifespans have increased dramatically over the last hundred years. And for me, that's a major risk that you, that you mentioned. And I think we can mitigate it by, by moving some proceeds into, into cash for short-term liquidity needs and income or bonds, and then having the rest of the portfolio providing growth so that you're not drawing into the volatility, but you're allowing the volatility to work for you. Exactly. I mean, I think sometimes, um, you know, we talk about goal-based investing and, you know, you can you know, possibly split out those, you know, those allocations separately. So you, you acknowledge that your equities are your growth assets, 
and you make sure that you've got enough for your income and your and your rainy day savings and you don't mix them all together because I think sometimes that's where the volatility makes people nervous because if they look at just what a portfolio in its entirety it's obviously going to be moving up and down but if you separate those components out so you know that your cash is nice and stable you know that the bonds are delivering your income and your equities are all over the show but they're still going to provide you with the growth over that long term. You know, Kate and Paul, if, if there's any message that one, you know, takes from, from this discussion is the need to strike that balance, uh, to balance out, you know, uh, your choice of asset classes informed by whatever liquidity needs or preferences you might have that correspond with the life stage you are at and also some of the potential or latent risks that one might face. And, and so it's about balancing all of these considerations. And, and I think as, as, as we wrap up, that for me is the big lesson. Uh, but from the pair of you, and maybe Kate, we'll start off with you, any last big message that you might want to send to many of the investors who are listening into this platform, um, what would that message be? And similarly to you as well, Paul. So I think for me, it would be start early. Like there's, there, I, mean, I have a, a running dialogue with with a young girl who's kind of like eighteen, nineteen, and I'm kind of teaching her financial health on the side. And you know, I said to her, start even if you've got short term requirements, put a little bit in a, in a, a unit trust and start early because firstly you start to normalize, for example, volatility or movement. It becomes normal for you, and you become, you grow in confidence. And also you have that long-term time horizon. I really have this kind of view that we need to balance future love and present love. I feel like all of us are pretty good at, at loving our present selves, but we need to also love our future selves. And, and for me, loving our future selves is paying attention to our finances early. Thank you so much for that. Paul? Can I steal Kate's answer? <laughs> um, potentially, potentially. No. I like that. I, I like that future love, present love. I like that. No, she's a, she's a, she's spot on. Uh, you can't start early enough. I would just add to that that everybody's circumstances are different, and there's no you know one size fits all approach. And I think that you know those conversations are very important to have with your you know your wealth manager or your financial advisor around what is the most appropriate mix of asset classes depending on your circumstances. You know, you can't just uh, pull a book off the shelf and it's going to tell you exactly what you need to do. You know, it's a, it's a very you know, human conversation that, that has to be had based on, on you. And I guess I would, that would be my number one takeaway. Kate and Paul, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, for this uh, lively discussion. Uh, that was Kate Stannard and uh, Paul McKeveney from Investec Wealth and Investments, uh, bringing to us another episode of our Wealth Creation series, uh, where we took a look at the building blocks of one's investment strategy and uh, the balance uh, of choices around uh, uh, asset classes, uh, and also a discussion of some alternative asset classes as well. Until we meet again. Just a reminder to listen to the first episode of the series if you may have missed it. And please stay tuned for more engaging conversations on wealth creation. In our upcoming episode, we'll speak on the importance of the global economy and taking a global view to investing. If you'd like more information on some of the topics we've covered today, or if you'd like to start your wealth creation journey, please reach out to a wealth manager or a private banker. 
If you're an existing private bank client, you can also access the Investec My Investments platform to start investing in local unit trusts with reduced minimums of 1,000 Rand per month. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of Investec Wealth and Investment and should not be taken as advice, guidance or recommendations. Investec Wealth and Investment, a division of Investec Securities Proprietary Limited, member of the JSE Equity, Equity Derivatives, Currency Derivatives, Bond Derivatives and Interest Rate Derivatives Markets, an authorized financial services provider and a registered credit provider.